And now, proper propaganda. Watch that. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists, too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the border. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I am your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward, and I am still doing my best to do this one too with this call i appreciate it man yeah you, you, you sound good um we'll stick around we still got a lot more show uh in store for you we're gonna circle back to that riverboat stuff for our way black history fact um we're gonna talk about the n- name of the boat because i guess the name of that boat was taken from a boat that used to transport slaves and we're also going to talk about that part of the alabama riverfront or whatever because that used to be a slave auction and then we're going to talk about um, the folding chair because we didn't get to it. Uh, shout out to Aquamane and uh, Uncle Aquaman, with the chair. Aquamane, man. You, you would know if you've seen the video or whatever, but we're going to talk about that uh, folding chair and the, the fact that a black person is the one who patented the folding chair. And we're also going to talk about Jason Aldean and his song, um, Try That in a Small Town. So stay tuned for all that. But first and foremost, we're going to discuss B.A., B.A., Becoming a Better Ally, Baba. Um, today's Baba is sponsored by Unknown Union, the fashion house situated at the intersection of meaning, innovation, and culture. For more info, check unknownunion.com. And uh, today we're talking about, um, this came from uh, the South Africa Daily. Um, and we're talking about The Rock, the, the actor, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, so I'll read. American actor Dwayne Johnson, best known as The Rock, took time out of his busy schedule to recently surprise Themba Tiel Gorimbo, a Zimbabwean UFC fighter who had recently relocated to the United States with only $7 in his bank account in the aim of pursuing his dream of becoming a UFC champion. Themba Gorimbo fought against Takashi Sato in May and made his first win after after previously falling short against AJ Fletcher, MMA News reported. During an interview after the fight, he shared a devastating story about his childhood back in Zimbabwe. Quote, I've almost died uh, when I was 16 at the diamond fields. I saw heaven when I was in the fields. I've been shot at in the diamond fields. I've seen people die in front of me at the diamond fields. I smuggled diamonds when I was 16, he said. According to The Rock, after Garimbo won his first fight, he sold everything including his fighting gear on the net and made $7,000, which he donated to his village. And I, I saw the video. There's a video documenting this. It's really special. And if you have a beating heart, it might move you to tears. Trying to get clean drinking water to his village. Yeah. So he spent all his prize money from his fight to get um, his village some water, clean a clean water pump or something. And then he came to the U.S. to try to become the champion so that he could have more money to donate. Uh, anyway, I'll finish. The former WWE wrestler decided to surprise Garimbo at a gym in South Florida where he slept since he was homeless in America with a new house. This is obviously The Rock is black and uh, uh, Garimbo is black as well. But black people can be allies to black people and people yeah, in Africa. Indeed. Money is a big deal in Africa because there's even less this of it there. It's a big deal everywhere. Sure. And there's plenty there. They just figure out how to keep it away from us. I don't even want yeah. to we, start. That's a whole, listen, we haven't broached that. money and resources in Africa. There's plenty. <laughs> we haven't broached that subject because we try to deal with things in the United States. But listen, the geopolitical status of all the countries in Africa. Listen, we're not born to be poor. We're not born to die. We're not stupid. We're not all corrupt. We're not, you know, none of that stuff. There we're are directly, forces. We're directly working to help eradicate that as well. Yeah. This Q, is not Q especially. Pass, this is not a passive mission that we're on we'll be on the continent later this year yeah 
and I will give you guys some updates on that. If I can convince Ram just to go back with me, oh yeah, no, the both of us will be there. Yeah, no, we're there. I love Africa. Anyway, all right. So, um, let's talk about what solidarity looks like on the opposite side. Okay, so this one is going to be a little weird because. I think this gives insight into how cooperative folks who whose beliefs are based in hate and divisiveness, in my estimation, they probably would not call it hate and divisiveness, but I know better. They just rebranded every few years as something different, but we're calling it conser- deep conservative conservatism now, right? or far-right conservatism, but um, it's racism. That's full stop. Um, we're going to show how they stick together. And I, I want to have this in contrast to that riverboat thing because this, what we're talking about with this Jason Aldean thing is this happens quite a bit, especially when it comes to voting. These people vote. They they get together. They get organized. Um, I think Malcolm X has a quote that I, I think works right here. He says, we were... We're not outnumbered. We're out organized. Right. Um, so that's why that riverboat thing was so special for black folks, because it's it showed a little bit of solidarity. We're going to rally around this person and support him in his time of need. Well, the opposite of that is this Jason Aldean guy. So um, I'm going to do a little bit of reading from Rolling Stone and I'm going to tag Q in uh, along the way just to kind of help paint a picture because I know Q has been champing at the bit <laughs> to try to get this one. <laughs> uh, uh, that's that's an inside one. Well, I guess not inside joke because last week or two weeks ago, we were trying to figure out if it was champing at the bit or chomping at the bit. Turns out it's both, but champing is not wrong. Um, but Q's been champing at the bit to get at this uh, topic here. So I'll read a bit. All right. This comes from Rolling Stone. Conservative fans tried to push Jason Aldean to number one. They just missed Jungkook and Lotto prevail after streams and sales for Try That in a Small Town skyrocketed thanks to the controversy around the song and video. Okay, let me read a bit. Conservatives hoping to drive Jason Aldean's controversial Try That in a Small Town to number one on the charts following CMT's move to pull the music video fell just short on Monday. Bear in mind, we're reading this a little bit after it came out because we couldn't get to it last week. So forgive me, the timeline might not sound as accurate and you're hearing us after we've recorded this. Um, I'll go on. As Jungkook and Lotto's seven reign victorious. But the controversy clearly stoked flames among MAGA circles, giving the song sales a major boost last week and propelling the song to number two on the chart. According to data service Luminate, which powers the Billboard charts, try that in a small town, was garnering fewer than 1,000 sales per week and hovering just shy of a million streams per week in the month prior to when Aldine released the song's music video on July 14th. Immediately, Aldine faced swift backlash as everyone from fellow artists like Sheryl Crow and Jason Isbell to scholars of racial violence pointed out the parallels to white nationalist narratives in Aldine's depiction of protest as violent and lawless and his taunting refrain, try that in a small town, see how far you make it down the road. CMT pulled the video within a few days, drawing a predictably furious outcry from the right wing and vows to drive the song up the charts. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit more here, but um 
in short, uh, this video pulled footage from the BLM protests. Um, now you'll hear, cause we have to say his side of the story, but you'll hear, um, him say that he didn't know that it was that. And he, you know, whatever, I guess he didn't have permission to use the footage anyway, but those of us in the know realize that this is coded. This is like dog whistle, um, musicianship right here, musicianship. Um, he's making a song to, for those really entitled folks and these folks that feel like America belongs to them and the flag is theirs and that, you know, Donald Trump is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It gives them a rallying cry, reason to beat their chest, right? Um, that's not to say that we haven't had songs to, um, move the culture forward on, on our side. And by our side, I mean the more, I guess, liberal side of things, um, or less conservative side of things. But this one is a little different in that this song, there's connections to violence that are very realistic and very much based in a real history. Um, and so for this, uh, Jason Aldean record, when the video comes out, um, they were showing like a courthouse and that's where they used to do like public lynchings of black people back in the day. Um, and you know, obviously the, the footage of the protest really pits Jason Aldean's message of try that in a small town against the messaging of the BLM protests of 2020. In other words, it's a rallying cry that is like the lyrics don't directly reference it, but when the video did, that's when it blew up because everyone's like, okay, clear. Now you can't even hide it anymore. Like we knew, but now we know, no, because you're literally showing us the video. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Q to get his, uh, early thoughts and then we'll get back to reading a little bit more about this. I guess the most frustrating part is that their efforts did not fail. Uh, as of 10 hours ago, a uh, story released by Rolling Stone stated that the song last week actually did make it to number one. Oh, okay. Uh, however, what Rolling Stone also pointed out is that it was clear that that was their effort. Yeah. That and was once the it got there, no one cared. The song dropped 24 spots yeah. on the charts the following week. It's no longer in the top 10. Yeah. Mike, as the, as I'm looking now, it's not in the top 30. Yeah. As I'm looking now, it's not in the top 40. <laughs> as I'm looking now, it's not in the top 50. That's all that's worth. As I'm looking now, <laughs> it's not in the top 60. I'm going to scroll until I find it. Well, 70. You can talk, Ramses. So watch this. 80. Um, Donald Trump. 90. <laughs> Go ahead. It's not in the top 100. I won't scroll past that because I think my it, point is yeah. proven. Right? It was a troll job by people that hate just like he intended them to. Yeah. He, he pretended he had no idea. When there's video of protest in Atlanta in his video. Yeah. Yeah. So, so watch it's this. It's intentionally, insultingly deceitful. Yeah. So watch this. Um, Throw the rock and hide your hand is what my people call that. Yeah. Cowardice. So, um, Donald Trump's, what was that? The choir, the, the, January 6th choir, the people that were in prison or whatever, they did a rendition of uh, America the Beautiful, the Pledge of Allegiance or some, some song, right? Maybe the National Anthem, who knows? 
Um, but it was like Janu- the, the supporters of the January 6th insurrection that had went to jail. Um, that song ended up going to number one. Not necessarily because it was quality music or it was it slaps or it was, you know, what it was. Even this song right here, we know that it don't slap because it was getting a thousand, what was it, a thousand sales per week prior to the controversy. People weren't checking for it. It's like you said, a troll job. So these things that the January 6th choir, this sort of thing, um, and other things are kind of a an act of solidarity on that part. They're a response to the uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of wokeness. I'd rather be woke than sleep, dog. Ten times out of ten. For real. And I want to say this before you move on. Go ahead. Because I want to quote an actual source and not just myself. Okay. Rolling Stone says the song fell 24 spots. Okay. That was earlier today. I don't see the song, but Rolling Stone does this for a living. So I'm going to lean on them. Okay. But it still makes the point. Yeah. Typically, if a song reaches number one, it'll be it's there for longer than a week. And if it does drop, top it drops five. to two. Yeah. It drops to four, yeah. not 25. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, that solidarity and that organization around. Um, and, and the sad part is that they it's like almost like these people know that it's hate. They know they're like they, they'll call it frustration. They'll call it fed up, I'm fed up with the what, you know, whatever. But it's hate. It's all it is. Right. We know that. But they need it to be anything other than racism that's why they don't like that word because that means that they've lost the narrative right you can't be means, you and be racist that they're a bad person right and they can't they be want to be perceived as yeah. bad people how, they're how, just upset right how could i they're be a bad just person? tired of being marginalized they're just acknowledging that racism towards white people is a far worse problem than racism towards non-whites in this country. Yeah, you should check out our check out our show from last week if you all they're trying to express. You want to get that you specifically to understand that. Yeah. Well, um, activities like this that push uh, a hateful message that um, fly in the face of what is simply an affirmation that Black lives have worth is on its face insulting and hurtful. Um, and they will adopt any possible vantage point other than that. It's glaringly the, obvious vantage point to make the, their case. It's the reason why the social constructs of black and white were so brilliantly placed, right? All of you immigrants that have come here that are not from Africa, rewind, that don't look like you're from Africa whose skin isn't dark, who lack melanin, can identify as white. And once we do that, the drastic, at that point, the drastic minority of people will be identified as black. So even though we're very, very different, Mm -hmm. we're German, we're Irish, we're Australian, you know, we're French, we're Swiss, we're Spanish, we're Portuguese even. We're white. All of us. And once I can get all of you to identify as white, I can then present white as superior and everything else as beneath. Yeah. What what Q's talking about here is... Um, and then the rest of your life, without knowing it, because it's an ideology now, you have been indoctrinated mm-hmm. to the idea of simple self-protection, mm-hmm. self preservation if you will 
so, kind, well-to-do people fight, vote, sing, march, and organize to protect the social construct of white supremacy because it is drastically beneficial to them. Right. Now, I, I need to uh, fill in a gap here. Please. Um, so if you look throughout history, <clears throat> um, until about maybe the late 1500s, early 1600s, you won't notice white people. Of course, our modern interpretation of what white people is, those people existed, but you won't, you won't find them. They're not documented anywhere any more than black people existed prior to this time. The term white people was um, created to delineate the non-slave class from the slave class. In other words, based on your appearance, you could tell a person's status in a given society black because of the slave trade. So shout out to Great Britain, Britain and the Spanish and the Portuguese and the Americans. And let's not pretend like uh, the Middle East, those those countries in there didn't have anything to do with it as well. Um, and so this is the origin story of black people as a term and white people as a term. And even then and, during your progressive movements, call those black people African-Americans and everyone else just American. Mm. Now, let me let me take that a step further. So this country has used that white supremacy at several points to uh, let's let's say after several points after slavery ended to continue to benefit from the presence of black people, black bodies, and to um, profit off of black labor. And I'm not just talking about prisons. I'm talking about land theft. I'm, th- I'm talking about uh, a, a series of aggressive acts, political acts, and uh, fiscal acts, you know, um, laws enacted to uphold a system that protects white interests and doesn't consider black interests. And I'm not just talking about Jim Crow and, you know, the black codes. Um, and I'm not just talking about the GI Bill. And I'm not just talking about redlining. It's, it's so much deep, like, like land theft. We could, we could just start there. Billions and billions of dollars just, just completely taken, washed off of the record. And then guess who ended up with that land? Right. So for many years, black people have borne the brunt of a system that protects white interests. I'm not making this stuff up either. I'm, I, why would I do that? You, I could be easily de- debunked. <laughs> I just have happened to be able to do so much research over the past few, few years, especially. And then now I'm condensing it into a conversation. So when we talk about this guy, Jason Aldean and his song and his very pro white supremacist, uh, messaging, dog whistle messaging. Um, and then we see the solidarity around it. This is something that we all need to be made aware of because as, as Malcolm X said, often enough, his quote goes, um, we are not outnumbered. We are out organized. And uh, we have to know that even though it's hate 
it's very, very sophisticated hate. It's sophisticated at the polls. It's sophisticated to trick billboard charts algorithms, right? Because they're, they're not increasing the amount of radio plays. So that's clicks, that's downloads, that's streams, that's everything of people saying, this is the reality that I want to live in. I'm going to do this a thousand times. Rolling Stone notes. Uh, the songs drop from number one to 21 is among the biggest falls from the top 100 in the charts history. Yeah. This is Maggie B. Noen, and we'll be right back with more Civic Cipher after a quick break. Hi, I'm Dr. Miranda Melcher, host of the Just Access podcast. We bring you amazing interviews from the world of human rights and access to justice, from Dunja Miatovic, Council of Europe Commissioner for Human Rights, to Liz Evenson, International Justice Director at Human Rights Watch. Whether you're a law student or legal professional, human rights activist, or just want to stay up to date on what's happening with the world, the Just Access podcast is your go-to for inspirational stories and fascinating discussions about the state of human rights today. Search for Just Access on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I'm going to finish reading this uh, article just so I can finish painting the picture, but um, I have to you know, say his piece too, just to be fair or whatever, I guess. All right. Just last week alone. Uh, so again, Q's reading more current from a more current source. I'm reading the source that we built this segment around. So mine is a little bit older than what Q's reading. From. Anyway, just last week alone, Aldine's song earned about 228,000 uh, digital, 228, digital song sales and 11.6 million streams. For reference, the song has 238 digital sales all time, uh, meaning that around 95% of the sales came last week after the controversy started. <laughs> 55% of its nearly 21 uh, million all-time streams came last week as well. Aldine faced stiff competition from BDS's Jungkook, who said, uh, well, I guess we don't need to read that anymore. Anyway, Regardless of where Small Town landed on the chart, the track has become yet another dog whistle for conservatives. How about that? Who have bemoaned the, the critiques as examples of so-called cancel culture. Right-wing entrepreneur and long-shot presidential candidate Vivek Ramazwamy, whoever that's it, tweeted last week, oh, I know he is, I'm just being funny, tweeted last week that he'd be playing the song at it at rallies and encouraging followers to drive the song up the charts before doing his best to change the subject to hip-hop. Um, Ram Ramaswamy eagerly echoed the song's thinly veiled threatening tone. Quote, it'd be a real shame if the song hits number one. Other accounts have referenced the Bud Light boycott some conservatives tries to get off the ground after the beer brand partnered with trans TikTok star Dylan Mulvaney uh, or the campaign to boost QAnon-adjacent thriller Sound, Sound of Freedom. All right, now here we go. Aldine himself has repeatedly dismissed the backlash, denying that Try That in a Small Town, is a pro-lynching song. Uh, he says, quote, there's not a single lyric in the song that references race or points to it. He wrote on social media. Obviously, the video told a much different story, but, you know, th this is what he's hiding behind. Easy. So, so say it with your chest if you mean it. Otherwise, don't play with people. But, you know, anyway, let me finish reading. All right. Um, on Friday night, uh, Aldine addressed a controversy during a concert in Cincinnati, seeming to applaud efforts to cash in on the song's notoriety. Quote, you guys know how it is. It's cancel culture. It's a thing. It's somehow where if people don't like what you say, they try and make sure they can cancel you, which means they try to ruin your life, ruin everything. 
one thing I saw this week was a bunch of country music fans that can see through a lot of the BS. All right. I saw country music fans rally like I've never seen before. And that was pretty bad <laughs> as in good. Um, I got to say, thank you guys so much. So this was his statement on the whole thing. Uh, just to be fair, obviously we know that it can only be one of two things, what we believe it to be, which is outright racism. Um, and, um, you know, him taking advantage of that and making music about that, which we don't believe is kind at all. Or and, the, and then there's the easy veil of just painting that not as racism, but as patriotism. Or, or yeah, that but thinly veiled patriotism is, or sorry, thinly veiled racism is. Um, well, there. I guess it's one and the same. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. That's the part that's most. Yeah. Terrifying. So it's rapid in the American flag <laughs> and it's okay. So watch this. It's either him uh making a song about hate or it's him taking advantage of people who have hateful tendencies. All right. It's time for the Way Black History Fact. Um today's Way Black History Fact is sponsored by Underground Beach Club from the streets to the beach for the for the latest in beachwear. Visit Underground Beach Club dot com. Uh, again, Q is going to be reading uh, three different parts of our way black history fact. We're going to be talking about the ship Harriet II, which was named after a slave ship. We're going to be talking about the Alabama Riverfront slave trade. And we're talking about how a black man patented the folding chair that was famously used in the Alabama Riverfront brawl. All right. Floor is wow. yours. <laughs> the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The serendipity. <laughs> it's funny. That patent. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Literally. Uh, sourcing from sportskeeda.com. The Harriet ship has a long-standing history as it was first launched in Liverpool in 1786. Initially sailing between Liverpool and Barbados, the ship was later captured by a French ship, but the British Navy was quick to recapture it. The Harriet was a slave ship back in the 1700s from 1798 to 1805. It carried thousands of slaves to Barbados and then back to Liverpool. However, post it was owned by Barton and Co. and also cruised between Liverpool and Africa. It now serves as a relaxing cruise and is one of Montgom Montgomery's tourist attractions, which offers visitors dinner, dancing, live entertainment and more. The idea that a slave ship can become a tourist attraction in this country and clearly be a profitable one is just part of the American dream, I guess. But funnily enough, all those black people jumped off of that slave ship and got busy. So you know interesting how true indeed sometimes things come together all right this source from cbs news montgomery alabama played a central role in the slave trade in downtown montgomery not far from where the brawl took place a historic marker commemorates the city's role in the transatlantic slave trade joshua d rothman a historian and chair of the department of history at the university of alabama told cnn the state played a quote substantial role in the domestic slave trade end quote until the civil war in the mid-1800s thousands of enslaved people were transported on steamboats and railroads from new orleans up the alabama river to montgomery according to the montgomery-based equal justice initiative many of the rail routes have been constructed by slave labor enslaved people would arrive on montgomery's riverfront or at the train station where they could be chained together and paraded down Commerce Street. 
that that used to be like a celebratory act mm -hmm. right there's something that inspired people made people happy that it would rile people up let's march these slaves down the street shackled together so that people can celebrate it a cattle drive <laughs> uh, they would later be sold in the city slave markets by 1860 there were more than 435,000 enslaved people in the state that's in one state According to the Equal Justice Initiative, by the start of the Civil War, a year later, Montgomery was among the most prominent slave trading communities in the state. In the mid-1800s, thousands of enslaved people were transported on steamboats, railroads from New Orleans up the Alabama River to Montgomery. Um, and Montgomery having a prominent slave trading community in the state. Uh, quote, the slavery's impact could be seen everywhere. Rothman said in an email to CNN, he added that enslaved labor fueled the local economy and influenced everything from political order to religious life. If you scratch hard enough at the surface of any of those matters um, and many other matters today, you'll likely find the legacy of slavery living somewhere underneath. Facts. It was once the capital of the Confederacy. Montgomery is often called the cradle of the Confederacy because in 1861, it briefly served as the first capital of the Confederate States of America. Wow. 11 states had succeeded from the Union after Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the U.S. in 1860. Delegates from six of those states, South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and Louisiana, convened in Montgomery in February 1861 to officially establish their own government. In May of 1861, the Confederate government moved from Montgomery to Richmond, Virginia, which retained the capital of the Confederacy until the end of the Civil War. Wasn't uh, very long. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of think this stuff was thousands of years ago. Nah. You know what I mean? Like we have, we're a generation removed. Yeah. Right. Your parents, parents, that's it. Yeah. Um, Thoughtco.com. This one is, I'll, I'll, I'll continue. <laughs> the folding chair. On July 7th, 1911, an African-American man named Nathaniel Alexander of Lynchburg, Virginia, patented a folding chair. According to his patent, Nathaniel Alexander designed his chair to be used in schools, churches, and auditoriums. His design included a book rest that was usable for the person sitting in the seat behind and was ideal for church or choir use. Patent 997108 is the only invention on record for Nathaniel Alexander. But on March 10th, 1911, his application was witnessed by two people, James R.O. Diggs and C.A. Lindsay. Alexander's folding chair is not the first folding chair patent in the United States. His innovation was that it included a book rest, making it suitable for use in places where the back of one chair could be used as a desk or shelf by the person seated behind. This would certainly be convenient when setting up rows of chairs required so they could rest music on the chair ahead of each singer or for churches where a prayer book hymnal or bible could be placed on the reading shelf during the service folding chairs allow the space to be used for other purposes when there is not a class or church service today many congregations meet in spaces that used to be large big big box stores supermarkets or other large uh cavernous rooms using folding chairs set up only during services they are able to quickly turn spaces into a church in the early part of the 20th century, congregations likewise might have met outdoors in warehouses, barns, or other spaces that didn't have fixed seating or pews. So, again, I think that that statement where it says, um, if you scratch hard enough at the surface of any of those matters and many others today, 
you'll likely find the legacy of slavery lying somewhere underneath that brawl video we didn't have to scratch very hard and you could see a lot of history there and that history matters it those people still that's that's not thousands of years ago like you said it's it's within a couple of lifetimes yeah. really easy to pass on hateful ideas about different people to the next generation another the- another thing that we might have to follow up on when we get a chance so- uh there's a uh i want to make sure i'm using the right word there's some synergy mm-hmm. some connectedness between areas where there are trump rallies and an increase in anti-black violence <laughs> You don't say even if it's not causality. You don't say <laughs> just something to consider. Yeah. And maybe that we'll have a chance to talk about on the show sometime soon. Well, um, while we're here, um, I want to say that neither of us condone any violence. That's not going to be the answer. That's not how you treat your brothers and your sisters. Um, but we do recognize that sometimes it's necessary to fight fire with fire. We are. I'm definitely a pacifist. I don't believe in any of that stuff. But, um, you know, we hope that we've helped you understand a little bit more. Um, we're still coming to understand these things ourselves, and we don't profess to be experts in this space at all. We are doing our best to be brothers to you, to give you what it is that we feel you might need to become the best ally that you can be so that you can have the conversations and, and make and, the impact. And we might community. not be experts, but we are probably more aggressively than a lot of people seeking that information. Out. Yeah, yeah. Very that's, proactive. That's very fair. So with that in mind, I'd like to thank you once again for tuning in to Civic Cipher. As always, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward on all the social medias and stuff. Indeed. And, um, uh, and this is Civic Cipher, man. We appreciate you guys. I love Ramses Ja. I don't know if I've said that on the show before, but I needed to. Oh, I, I felt that right now. I love you too, man. All right. Well, hit the website, civiccipher.com. Download this and any previous episodes. Uh, make a donation. The show grows with your support. Um, and follow us on all social media at Civic Cipher. You can download this and any previous episodes. And until next week, y'all, peace. Peace. Sidestepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show, get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this.